values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. Yeah, everybody's dancing this music behind the glass. That's uh, that's a little scary. <laughs> Welcome back. I'm Barry Marks and Inver Broomhead. We are awaiting uh, the January 6th committee uh, hearing, their final committee hearing. It's going to be starting just momentarily. We'll bring it to you live here on KTAR. Uh, they're going to uh, summarize their findings. Uh, I think there's some additional information. They've actually continued uh, to have witnesses and evidence uh, presented to the committee since the last hearing. Uh, and today, the expectation is there will be criminal referrals to the Justice Department for former President Trump. Trump, the first time that's happened in U.S. history. Right now, we go to the House Capitol uh, in Washington, D.C. for the January 6th committee. being present, the select committee to investigate the January 6th attack on the United States Capitol will be in order. Without objection, the chair is authorized to declare the committee in recess at any point. Pursuant to House Deposition Authority Regulation 10, the chair announces the committee's approval to release the deposition material presented during today's meeting and further its approval to release deposition material that accompanies release of the select committee's final report. Good afternoon and may God bless the United States of America. To cast a vote in the United States is an act of faith and hope. When we drop that ballot in the ballot box, we expect the people named on the ballot are going to uphold their end of the deal. The winner swears an oath and upholds it. Those who come up short ultimately accept the results and abide by the rule of law. That faith in our system is the foundation of American democracy. If the faith is broken, so is our democracy. Donald Trump broke that faith. He lost the 2020 election and knew it. But he chose to try to stay in office through a multi-part scheme to overturn the results and block the transfer of power. In the end, he summoned a mob to Washington and knowingly they were armed and angry, pointed them to the Capitol and told them to fight like hell. There's no doubt about this. This afternoon, my colleagues will present our key findings, reminding you of some of the information we presented in earlier hearings and telling you how it fits in our broader conclusions. Those conclusions have helped shape the committee's final report, which we'll adopt today pursuant to House Resolution 503, which establishes the select committee nearly a year and a half ago. I expect our final work will be filed with the clerk of the House and made public later this week. Beyond that release, the select committee intends to make public the bulk of its non-sensitive records before the end of the year. These transcripts and documents will allow the American people to see for themselves the body of evidence we've gathered and continue to explore the information that has led us to our conclusions. This committee is nearing the end of its work. But as the country, we remain in strange and uncharted waters. We've never had a president of the United States stir up a violent attempt to block the transfer of power. 
I believe nearly two years later, this is still a time of reflection and reckoning. If we are to survive as a nation of laws and democracy, this can never happen again. How do we stop it? This committee will lay out a number of recommendations in this final report. But beyond any specific details and recommendations we present, there's one factor I believe is most important in preventing another January 6th, accountability. So today, beyond our findings, we will also show that evidence we've gathered points to further action beyond the power of this committee or the Congress to help ensure accountability under law. Accountability that can only be found in the criminal justice system. We have every confidence that the work of this committee will help provide a roadmap to justice and that the agencies and institutions responsible for ensuring justice under the law will use the information we provided to aid in their work. And for those of you who have followed this committee's work, I hope we've helped make clear that there's a broader kind of accountability. Accountability to all of you, the American people. The future of our democracy rests in your hands. It's up to the people of this country to decide who deserves the public trust. Who will put fidelity to the Constitution and democracy above all else? Who will abide by the rule of law, no matter the outcome? I'm grateful to the millions of you who followed this committee's work. I hope we lived up to our commitment to present the facts and let the facts speak for themselves. Let me say in closing, the women and men seated around me on this dais are public servants in the most genuine sense. They put aside politics and partisanship to ensure the success of this committee in providing answers to the American people. I especially want to thank and acknowledge our vice chair, who has become a true partner in this bipartisan effort, Ms. Cheney of Wyoming. And I also recognize her for any opening statement that she cared to offer. Thank you very much, Mr. Chairman, and thank you for your, your tremendous leadership of this committee. I know we all have benefited uh, greatly from, from your wisdom and your wise counsel, so thank you very much. In April of 1861, when Abraham Lincoln issued the first call for volunteers for the Union Army, my great-great-grandfather, Samuel Fletcher Cheney, joined the 21st Ohio Volunteer Infantry. He fought through all four years of the Civil War, from Chickamauga to Stones River to Atlanta. He marched with his unit in the Grand Review of Troops up Pennsylvania Avenue in May of 1865, past a reviewing stand where President Johnson and General Grant were seated. Silas Canfield, the regimental historian of the 21st Ohio Volunteer Infantry, described the men in the unit this way. He said they had a just appreciation of the value and advantage of free government and the necessity of defending and maintaining it. And they enlisted, prepared to accept all the necessary labors, fatigues, exposures, dangers, and even death for the unity of our nation 
and the perpetuity of our institutions. I have found myself thinking often, especially since January 6th, of my great-great-grandfather and all those in every generation who have sacrificed so much for the unity of our nation and the perpetuity of our institutions. At the heart of our republic is the guarantee of the peaceful transfer of power. Members of Congress are reminded of this every day as we pass through the Capitol Rotunda. There, eight magnificent paintings detail the earliest days of our republic. One, painted by John Trumbull, depicts the moment in 1793 when George Washington resigned his commission, handing control of the Continental Army back to Congress. Trumbull called this, quote, one of the highest moral lessons ever given the world. With this noble act, George Washington established the indispensable example of the peaceful transfer of power in our nation. Standing on the west front of the Capitol in 1981, President Ronald Reagan described it this way. The orderly transfer of authority as called for in the Constitution routinely takes place as it has for almost two centuries, and few of us stop to think how unique we really are. In the eyes of many in the world, this every four-year ceremony that we accept as normal is nothing less than a miracle. Every president in our history has defended this orderly transfer of authority except one. January 6th, 2021 was the first time one American president refused his constitutional duty to transfer power peacefully to the next. In our work over the last 18 months, the Select Committee has recognized our obligation to do everything we can to ensure this never happens again. At the beginning of our investigation, we understood that tens of millions of Americans had been persuaded by President Trump that the 2020 election was stolen by overwhelming fraud. And we also knew this was flatly false. We knew that dozens of state and federal judges had addressed and resolved all manner of allegations about the election. Our legal system functioned as it should, but our president would not accept the outcome. Among the most shameful of this committee's findings was that President Trump sat in the dining room off the Oval Office watching the violent riot at the Capitol on television. For hours, he would not issue a public statement instructing his supporters to disperse and leave the Capitol, despite urgent pleas from his White House staff and dozens of others to do so. Members of his family, his White House lawyers, virtually all those around him knew that this simple act was critical. For hours, he would not do it. During this time, law enforcement agents were attacked and seriously injured. The Capitol was invaded, the electoral count was halted, and the lives of those in the Capitol were put at risk. In addition to being unlawful, as described in our report, this was an utter moral failure and a clear dereliction of duty. Evidence of this can be seen in the testimony of President Trump's own White House counsel and several other White House witnesses. No man who would behave that way at that moment in time can ever serve in any position of authority in our nation again. He is unfit for any office. The committee recognizes 
that our work has only begun. It's only the initial step in addressing President Trump's effort to remain in office illegally. Prosecutors are considering the implications of the conduct that we describe in our report, as are citizens all across our nation. In 1761, John Adams wrote, the very ground of our liberties is the freedom of elections. Faith in our elections and the rule of law is paramount to our republic. Election deniers, those who refuse to accept lawful election results, purposely attack the rule of law and the foundation of our country. The history of our time will show that the bravery of a handful of Americans doing their duty saved us from an even more grave constitutional crisis. Elected officials, election workers, and public servants stood against Donald Trump's corrupt pressure. Many of our committee's witnesses showed selfless patriotism, and their words and courage will be remembered. The brave men and women of the Capitol Police, the Metropolitan Police, and all the other law enforcement officers who fought to defend us that day saved lives and our democracy. Finally, I wish to thank my colleagues on this committee. It has been a tremendous honor to serve with all of you. We have accomplished great and important things together, and I hope we have set an example. And I also want to thank all of those who have honorably contributed to the work of our committee and to our report. We have accomplished much over a short period of time. Many of you sacrificed for the good of our nation. You have helped make history, and I hope helped to right the ship. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I yield back. All right, there you have it. The January 6th committee hearing uh, live here on KTR. We heard the opening statements from uh, Congressman Benny Thompson and, of course, Liz Cheney, uh, the Republican from Wyoming. Uh, we will continue to cover the hearing as it as it goes today, and we will have updates for you. Uh, the reporting is that the committee will, uh, in the at some point today, announce their referral to the Justice Department of, of at least three uh, criminal complaints against uh, former President Donald Trump. Uh, let's let's remember. Uh, that these criminal referrals from Congress do not carry uh, any actual weight. Uh, they can't force the Justice Department to bring uh, to bring charges against the, uh, against Trump. Uh, really, it doesn't force anything. In some ways, it's a political uh, it's a political thing more than anything. However, um, it is significant in that it has never happened before in the history of the United States where the Congress has uh, referred uh, a former president or a current president for for criminal charges. So, very uh, very interesting for us to see that here kind of history in the making right in front of us and it was uh, exciting to carry that live here on KTAR. So we'll continue to have that for you. The news uh, will update you. I'm sure this hearing will go on for 90 minutes or two hours or more um, as they lay out what the uh, what their findings were and what their recommendations are going forward and if anything happens we'll bounce back in but certainly have updates for you uh, with the KTAR news team uh, throughout the rest of the day. Alright, we're going to take a, a short break here in just a couple minutes. I do want to keep you up to date on what's happening here in Arizona as well. The election uh, law Lawsuits continue on. Uh, the Fincham lawsuit, Mark Fincham's lawsuit, has been dismissed. It, it's it's over. It's dead. Uh, Sonny Borelli, who you, uh, 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 you probably never heard of, a uh, state senator, filed an election lawsuit as well, even though he won by a ton of votes. Uh, that one was dismissed so fast it made my head spin. Uh, he didn't even actually serve the lawsuit on the defendants, which is embarrassing in itself. Um, and the two remaining are Carrie Lake uh, against Katie Hobbs in Maricopa County. Uh, that oral argument on the, the defendants' motions to dismiss, uh, that was held uh, this morning, just a few minutes ago. 
Uh, we covered that for you here on KTR, and we will continue to have updates for you throughout the day. We expect the judge's ruling uh, on the motions to dismiss today. The judge could dismiss the lawsuit uh, in that order or uh, could uh, set it off and not dismiss the lawsuit immediately and allow for an evidentiary hearing. Uh, I will tell you, and just listening and seeing what I did see about the oral argument today and in the pleadings, the motions that were filed um, I, I don't know that Kerry Lake's people seem interested in actually finding a way to prevail in this suit under Arizona law. Uh, and Arizona law is very specific in what you have to show in order to prevail. It has to be sufficient evidence where the if, if in fact, what you're saying is true, it would overturn the election. That's the standard. And it also is the standard by case law uh, that the the courts are to presume that the election was run openly and, and fairly. And if you have to, therefore, the burden of proof is very always on the plaintiff, but very, very high uh, in these election suits. And I don't know that, at least what I saw and heard, uh, that Kerry Lake's uh, that Kerry Lake was able to satisfy that burden. So we'll see what happens there. And then coming up at one thirty, uh, KTR will monitor this as well. Attorney General candidate Abe Hamaday filed a lawsuit, an election lawsuit. His uh, based more on provisional ballots and signature verification ballots that were counted or not counted, that motion to dismiss hearing, that oral argument uh, occurs today at one thirty, and we'll continue to provide updates for you throughout the day. So keep it to KTR uh, as we bring that for you. Coming up, uh, Jeff Munn in the KTR News Center. He'll give you an absolute update what's happening in Washington, D.C. right now at the January 6th hearing, uh, as well as around the state. And then after that, it's Did You Hear This with the headlines of the day. I'm Barry Markson. Stay with us. It's KTAR. Values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, I'm Barry Markson in for Mike. Thanks for being here. So much news today, so little time. We bring it all to you, all the headlines. Did you hear this? Did you hear this? Broomhead's reaction to the hottest news stories. The end of Title 42 is bringing troubles to border communities such as El Paso, who was declared a state of emergency to get ready for the impending surge of migrants across the border. Hundreds of migrants without shelter as temperatures drop and a larger surge looming in Mexico. Border communities now directly working with state and federal partners bracing for Title 42 to expire this Wednesday. How can the federal government step up to help border towns during this time? Yeah, this is uh, El Paso declaring a state of emergency, by the way, done over objections from the Biden administration. They've been talking to them for months, asking them not to do that. But uh, these border towns are just faced with unbelievable thousands and thousands of people coming in at any one time and then having to deal with them. It makes me think of when New York and uh, uh, D.C. and other places were crying about uh, some some uh, of the migrants who were being dr- uh, bussed over to them, whether that's right or wrong. Um, imagine a city of New York with nine million people in it saying we can't handle a few hundred thousand, a few hundred people. And of course, these these towns are getting thousands a day. Uh, uh, this is a mess. It ain't going to get any better, and it doesn't look like the Biden administration is doing anything to help. Last night, the CEO of Twitter, Elon Musk, put out a poll asking users if he should step down from the company, saying he would abide by the results of the poll. More than 17 million people weighed in, with 57.5% saying Musk should leave his post, 42.5% urging him to stay. Musk has based some decisions in the past on user votes like this one, but he hasn't said what he intends to do next. What did the results say about how people have viewed Musk's time as the CEO of the company? Yeah, I was a little surprised by that because there's an awful lot of conservative 
of uh, folks on Twitter uh, who have been supporting Musk. So I'm surprised the way this turned out. But I, I think a lot of folks just don't like the constant we're kicking this person off or bringing this person back. Um, and he just had just finished kicking off a whole bunch of journalists who did nothing other than honestly cover Elon Musk. Uh, they weren't saying bad things about him. They were just covering him as journalists. Um, it's it becoming a little too personal in my mind. I don't know that he's going to step aside. He obviously still owns the thing. But it might be the best thing for him to bring in another CEO who let, and just let somebody actually run this thing as a business. All right, you're listening to Did You Hear This? We bring you the top headlines of the day. Lots of them today. Julia bringing it to me and then asking tough questions. Go ahead, Julia. The January 6th committee just gave their opening remarks and announced that their evidence will be made for all to see. These transcripts and documents will allow the American people to see for themselves the body of evidence we've gathered and continue to explore the information that has led us to our conclusions. What are you most interested to see out of their findings? Well, I have to tell you, I've been watching the hearings as they go. I think they have even more information now. Uh, but I think seeing the real basis of support for a criminal complaint against the former president is what I'm looking to see. And also, if they bring criminal referrals uh, against other people in Trump's inner circle who did things to overthrow uh, the country. I mean, that's what this was about. It was literally, it was literally where they were trying to uh, disregard and overthrow the vote of the American people. And I have to tell you, we have Arizonans, Arizona politicians who were involved in this uh, and voted against our votes in Congress, including Andy Biggs, including Debbie Lesko and others. Uh, it's an absolute disgrace that these people are still in office. A flight from Phoenix to Hawaii experienced severe turbulence that sent some people and objects to move around the cabin. Passengers and crew who were not seat belted in flew around the cabin, slamming into the ceiling, cracking ceiling panels. Eleven people wow. on board the Hawaiian Airlines flight were seriously injured, including with loss of consciousness. Have you ever experienced something like this while flying? Yeah, I've, I've had some turbulence. Uh, it obviously wasn't that bad, but I, I've had it where I had my seatbelt on, thank goodness. But I watched uh, people fly out of their seats straight up and bang their heads into the ceiling uh, of the plane. Now, I don't think it broke any tiles or, or the ceiling at all, but that sounded pretty bad. Uh, it definitely, from that point forward, I usually keep my seatbelt on when we're flying because you just don't always know when you're going to hit that ter- turbulence, and the pilot doesn't know either. All right, there you have it. Did you hear this? Thank you, Julia. That was a great way to catch up on the headlines. KTR continuing to monitor several things uh, throughout the day here. The January 6th hearing still uh, ongoing. Uh, this is the January 6th committee meeting in uh, in um, the, the committee in in the House of Representatives, and they're presenting all of their evidence today, a summary of their evidence. The full report will be issued in writing soon, a written summary coming out, I think, today as well. Uh, and then the big news, of course, uh, is to see if this committee does criminal referrals uh, for former President Trump and others to the Justice Department and see where that comes out. Uh, the totality of the evidence, if you really look at the evidence that is pre- that was presented in this hearing by Trump's inner circle, this isn't, this isn't by Democrats or congressmen talking – these are people who vote. These are Trump people that he hired that worked next to him in the White House, that worked on his campaign, that worked in his House counsel office. These are his people testifying that he worked on a plot with others to overthrow the vote of the American people. It's it's absolutely amazing what they uncovered in these hearings. Uh, it should be. It's must see TV. Frankly, it's very compelling. And I, I urge you to watch and listen to this throughout the day and to look at the reviews of it afterwards, because uh, it is very compelling. Um, I, we are also uh, watching uh, in Arizona the election lawsuits that have been filed. Kerry Lake's election lawsuit uh, was submitted uh, for oral argument to the court this morning on a motion um, 
several motions to dismiss by the defendants, uh, and the judge will issue that decision shortly. I, I think it's going to be today. The judge did not give a definite indication of when that'll be. Um, I will say it did not appear from the hearing that Carrie Lake and her attorneys were able to present sufficient evidence under Arizona law to satisfy their burden of proof to avoid a motion to dismiss. But we'll see. The court may find that there's enough question here that he wants to allow an evidentiary hearing. He wants to allow Carrie Lake to put her evidence on. We shall see. Uh, but certainly on its face, it did not seem to satisfy the very vigorous high standard uh, that Arizona statutes require for election lawsuits. It's it's a it's a difficult, very difficult hill to climb. It should be. If you're looking to change the outcome of an election, if you're looking to change the outcome of the vote of the people, uh, I think we would all agree the standard better be very, very high. And that's what we have here in Arizona. Um, I, I will say uh, in her 70 page complaint, Carrie Lake put out a whole slew of different allegations and claims and all sorts of things, including somehow Twitter affected the outcome of this election. Uh, it's it doesn't play well in front of a court when it's just you look like you're just throwing spaghetti against the wall to see how many strands will stick. Uh, that's how this looks. Unfortunately, there are people out there who look at each one of these things, and when you say, where's the evidence, they point to this, and this is not real evidence. I'll give you one example. One of the claims is this chain of custody thing that ballots were brought uh, to a vendor who takes pictures of the outside of the unopened envelopes so that the signatures are all in the computer, and then they have software that repeatedly checks and checks these signatures uh, to make sure that the that they're verified. And that's in addition to individual verification uh, by uh, county workers, Republicans, and Democratic observers. So all of that went on. The claim is that somehow the chain of custody was broken when it was brought to this vendor to, to fast photograph these uh, outside of these envelopes. The envelopes were not opened by them. And the fact is it's already been debunked because – at every stage of that, Republican and Democratic observers are with the ballots as it goes through. So, again, claims being made doesn't mean it's true. And just because one person gives an affidavit or a statement saying, I saw a van or I saw a truck leaving the election center and going to the, and I followed it and it went to this. Yeah, that's what's supposed to happen. That's how this works. And there are Republican and Democratic operatives. They're watching this. They're observing it. It all happens like that. It reminded me in 2020 of it was in another state where they said there was a suitcase under a table. And, you know, that and then it turned out, yeah, that's the case. We carry the ballots in. They all look like that. We carry the ballots in boxes in cases. That's what it looks like. Just because you see something doesn't mean it's corrupt, doesn't mean it's it's uh, improper. And and that's the real issue here is whether there's actual evidence uh, that can show not just that something improper happened, but that enough happened that would change the outcome of the election. That's Arizona law, and I don't think enough of that has been shown. So we'll see how that plays out. On the other side, uh, we'll come back. We'll give you an update on what's happening with the January 6th committee hearing. Uh, We'll let you know what they're coming forward with in that hearing as it continues to happen live, and give you an update on the current status of these uh, election lawsuits in Arizona. I'm Barry Markson, in for Broomhead. Stay with us. It's KTAR. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. All right, welcome back, everybody. Barry Markson in for Broomhead. Thanks for joining us on a very heavy news day. Keep it tuned to KTAR, and we will continue to bring you up to date throughout the day on what's happening 
in Washington, D.C. at the January 6th committee hearing and its effect on Arizona, as well as the court's rulings uh, in at least two Arizona election lawsuits that are still out there. Uh, we have uh, we're watching the January 6th hearing as it happens right now. They're going through all of uh, kind of summarizing all the evidence that they have. It's it's actually pretty amazing. Uh, and uh, we will at some point KTR will report for you when they get to it uh, what criminal referrals and other outcomes that the January 6th committee reports. So we'll have that for you live here on KTR as it happens. Uh, I do want to talk a little bit about Arizona now and these suits. It's it's um it's interesting to me. Look, I'm I'm on Twitter and you can follow me at Barry Marks and one where I deal with this election lawsuit stuff quite a bit. And all I say repeatedly, I'm, I'm an attorney, and all I say repeatedly is, show me the evidence. It's, it's just evidence and facts. Show me what you have to support these allegations and claims that you're making. And if you're if you're somebody who's, and this, as you all know, happens on Twitter all the time, where it's people will just start you know throwing stuff out there. Um, in real world, it would be it would be considered libel. I mean, to say to, self, to say to somebody that they're a crook, that they're a liar, that they're a cheat, uh, those are things that get you sued. It's really amazing. But people throw this kind of stuff out uh, on Twitter like it's nothing, and, and in real life. And we're seeing that here with our own Carrie Lake uh, in Arizona. It's really kind of an amazing thing what we've seen here. Uh, and that's it's Carrie Lake. Even just this weekend, uh, she went out and said things that are just so outlandish and untrue. Uh, but it does. It does gin people up. It gets a lot of her supporters really excited. Uh, I think she's doing it to, to, I guess, try to create, make herself relevant when she no longer is. And I think, unfortunately, also to get money. And it it does bother me um, that people... And I, when I say bother me, it almost makes me sad uh, that people send money to these politicians who are so obviously only only in it for themselves and saying things only to get their followers riled up enough to give them money. If you're Carrie Lake and you've lost this election, and by the way, she knows she lost this election. Her her own team told her four days after the election, four days after, that she lost. And she continued to say to you uh, that she was still fighting. She continued. I, I get the text. She was sending a text out every single day asking for money, not just to me, but to her whole list. And it bothers me. It makes me sad that people who supported her, and that's fine. If you supported Kerry Lake or Republican, whatever it is, uh, that's fine. You have every right to do that. But to give her more money when all it is 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 grift. All, there's nothing here to say we need it for this this lawsuit when they didn't have to file a lawsuit because there's no basis for it. Um, the lawyers aren't charging. I mean, there's just it's just grift. When you see Carrie Lake speaking at one of these conferences over the weekend, where I ha- I don't know, I have to assume she's getting paid. The ticket prices were three hundred and fifty dollars per person. I, I know this this turning point makes a bunch of money from this stuff. It's just so much show and they say things to get you riled up they say things to get you to to click on them so they can sell advertising and and really to get you to send money and it it bothers me it bothers me to think about um you know an older couple in 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 arizona sending their hard-earned money or they're living on a fixed income and they're sending money to these people who are just getting them riled up and it's it's fake it's it's fraudulent. It's taking advantage, and especially worse to me is it's taking advantage of people who support you. It isn't just random people. These are your people. And here's Carrie Lake. I, I want you to hear this. this. is from this weekend. This is this is Carrie Lake. And and listen to it. Look, if you're a Republican, if you supported Carrie Lake, is this really what you think is in the best interest of Arizona and our country? They have built a house of cards here in Maricopa County. I think they're all wondering what I'm going to do. 
I'll tell you what, I'm not just going to knock that house of cards over. We're going to burn it to the ground. Yeah, I mean, the rhetoric is just so that that gets people riled up. Um, she's saying we don't have fair elections, that, that everything here is fair. It's really it, it, the allegations to say these things without the evidence of it. And then when you say, well, what's the evidence? She says, well, here. And she throws something at you that is, is debunked in 15 minutes. It's unbelievable. Here's Carrie Lake again this weekend. Everything you've heard in the last 24 hours here on stage hinges on one thing, free and fair elections right now. And right now we don't have them. I hate to tell you that. I experienced it firsthand on November 8th. Trust me on that one. So she's she's not letting up on this. She's going to stay. Carrie Lake is going to keep saying her the election was stolen. She didn't lose. It was taken from her. You've heard this before, right? I mean, who does she sound like? She sounds like Trump. I mean, that's that's exactly this is what she's going to do. This is her. This is going to be her new brand, just like Trump's. It's it's not a policy thing. It's not anything. It's just that the election was stolen from me and the, and the evidence isn't there. So we're going to follow this for you. I'm curious to see what the court does if they do, if the judge dismisses the lawsuit today uh, or not. And then coming up at one thirty uh, is the Abe Hamaday, uh, the attorney general's race, his lawsuit, his election lawsuit. And I, I just want to remind you, by the way, uh, Carrie Lake doesn't claim fraud in her lawsuit. She has to in order to prevail under uh, in law here, um, but she doesn't actually say the words fraud because she knows she can't prove it. She doesn't allege it specifically in the lawsuit. And Abe Hamaday, his first line, the first line in his lawsuit says uh, basically that we are not alleging any fraud, manipulation, or intentional wrongdoing. They're not alleging those things. Um, and I, I'm that at least impressed me because they're looking at this is a very close election. He only lost by 511 votes for attorney general. And they want the court to examine uh, some of the provisional ballots and signature verified ballots that weren't counted to determine if they should be. That's an absolutely reasonable request following an election that close. 511 votes out of 2.5 million. Um, we'll see where that goes. I'm not saying it's going to overturn the election. I don't think it will. Uh, but that is a reasonable, reasonable request uh, and a lawsuit that should be heard. These other ones, like the Fincham lawsuit that was dismissed last week, the Borelli lawsuit dismissed last week, and what I expect will be the Kerry Lake lawsuit dismissed this week, um, these are lawsuits that are not well taken under Arizona law with the standards that Arizona law has. And we've seen it already where judges have sanctioned Lake and Fincham. We'll see if they do it again. Uh, election lawsuits are appropriate where they're appropriate and they should be brought. But if you don't have the right basis for it, you don't have, you don't have the evidence, sanctions may be appropriate. All right, everybody. Thanks for uh, thanks for tuning in today. I, I really do uh, appreciate everybody being here. I'm Barry Markson, and, uh, and for Broomhead, I'll be here all week. Ed Cole ran the big program today. Uh, Julia Short G is our producer. She took care of everything. Jeff Munz is uh, in the KTR News Center, and he'll continue to have an ex- a news expansion for you. 15 minutes of commercial-free news coming up uh, right now at noon. You don't want to miss that. And everybody in the KTR News Center, you want to stay tuned today. They're going to have all the updates from the January 6th hearing, all the updates from the Arizona election, uh, 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 the election lawsuits. If you have, if you're interested in the news in Arizona, this is definitely the place to be. Keep it tuned to KTR. I'm Barry Markson. I'm in for Broomhead. Have a great Monday, everybody. It's KTAR.